You wait the year for it, mate. Deserve it. You deserve it. Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Connor McLoon and welcome to the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. From MCs to promoters, we take a look at what people have witnessed backstage, on stage and everything in between. My guest this week is a Sheffield MC, artist and producer. He's collaborated with the likes of AJ Tracy and Todd Lattee appeared on Charlie Sloth's Fire in the Booth, Rinse FM's Grime Show, and performed at the likes of Outlook and Park Life, It's Coco. During this episode, we discuss how much of an impact Sheffield had on Coco's come up, what it is that draws him to festivals, what happens when you forget lyrics on stage, and what keeps him motivated in the industry. Our guest this week is one of Sheffield's finest, an MC, a producer, an artist, He's collaborated with the likes of Todd Lattee, AJ Tracy and Conductor, featured on Charlie Sloth's Fire in the Booth, Rinse FM's Grime Show, Just Jam, Tim and Barry TV, performed at the likes of Outlook, Festival and Park Life. It's Coco. Good evening, fella. How are you? Yes, I'm good, bro. You, man? Yes, mate. I'm very, very well. Very, very well. Um, we were just talking there, discussing it's the start of August. You have very recently, very, very recently uh, been performing in Manchester with a little impromptu live PA at uh, Hidden. How did that go, mate? Oh, bro, amazing, man. That's literally my first show um, since obviously being in lockdown. Um, it's actually the first time I met MPH in person as well, which is crazy. Um, so he was he was the one that did level to this, wasn't it? That you did the uh, the live PA for, so the track that sort of blew up over the summer on one forty. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So we made we made that through lockdown um, over WhatsApp. Um, it's just mad to think how these things can happen, and you know, and the tune is such a success. But it was it was just good to see, you know, the result of the actual song in in real life and see people enjoying it outside and just having a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, how long was that sort of before? How long was it that you had not performed in or had not uh, played out at? Boy, how long has it been that? Uh, Definitely def- well over a year. Yeah. Well over a year. Maybe, maybe even two, bro. Maybe even two, because even prior to lockdown, I weren't performing as much. I was more in the studio. So it's been a long time. And what was the, uh, was there anything that surprised you about like that first event back after a year? Nah, do you know what? Everything seems to be pretty much the same. Um, people were having a very, very good time. Everyone was drunk, which was expected, some more than others. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, it was literally like getting back on the bike and riding it, you know, that feeling don't go, but it was just, yeah. it was good to have it back there, man, definitely. Did you get a, did you get a reload? Yeah, definitely, bro, I had to. Do you know what's mad? I was spitting it, yeah, and the crowd was going mad, and I didn't know if MP were going to re- reload it, I was going to do it myself, but it did, yeah. I was like, good lad, yes. <laughs> you <laughs> you waited a year for it, mate, you waited a year for it, you deserve it, you deserve it. <laughs> exactly. You- you absolutely deserve it. So that's sort of like what happened very, very recently. Like I said, we're at the start of August now. Um, yeah. As I mentioned at the start there, you're a producer, you're an artist, you're an MC, yeah. uh, you're a talented lad. What was sort Thank of a, what were your uh, what were your earliest experiences all the way back at your roots with music, mate? Like what are your first sort of go-to memories? My earliest experiences of music would, uh, of course, have to be probably my mum, just just playing music in the house, like from, from R&B to garage to everything reggae, so... You know, music's always been a part of my life from a young age. And then I guess in terms of me making music myself, it would have been as I kind of early stages of secondary school, um, you know, listening to grime, learning about what grime is, listening to people in my area, in my school, rapping and stuff and spitting. So that's probably when I sort of first, you know, 
but yeah, I want to do this music to myself. But same music itself, yeah, definitely in the house. So my mum's playing it, hundred percent. And some of those sort of earlier grime influences, like who are we talking there that you were listening to and like uh, liking? Um, you know, like Skepta, definitely. He's definitely playing a big part in being influential in my my music career. I'd say uh, from that standpoint, Wiley, yeah, Lethal B, Kane, all in all in them, man. You know, like the the greats of grime. Um, just hearing those kind of people seeing like you loaded the mics and stuff and all the all the footage that was about them times I just say I just seeing all those people as well as obviously like you know my local my local artists it just really made me want to give it a go myself and now you know what I mean I'm here now so what were your uh, what were your sort of um, your earliest foundations into MC and then because obviously all the guys you mentioned there as well like similar to yourself yeah. uh, have produced and have spat as well and like self-produced a lot of their early albums and a lot of their early material yeah. um, what were your sort of like what was your go-to where you're like right I'm going to start picking up a pen now and start spitting so that, that would have been um, secondary school again so an MC called Skins came up to me in school and I just remember him telling me you know a lot of people, you know, in the area in, in in school, been going to studio and they've been recording music. And I just thought, you know what, I might as well go see what's happening. And I'd say from there, that's when I first would have, you know, it might have been even way before that when I was younger. But in terms of like being conscious of me actually going to be an MC, it would have been around them times, like 13, 14 or something, going to studio. And I just remember that just being nervous, sat around people that have done this a lot longer than me. But just knowing that, you know what, I, I can I can grasp this. I'm sure I can I can do it. And from there, yeah. And so they are they sort of like back when you're in the studio then, were they sort of producing on stuff like Fruity Loops, um, like earlier bits like that? Or were you just sort of literally like they were mixing tracks together on vinyl and you were like just spitting over the top of it? No, it was definitely like computer error. Um, I think the guy at the time, I think he was using Reason and Cubase and them kind of things. Because when, when I've gone to studio, like I've not really been too involved in the computer side of it. Um, more just of learning how to write lyrics. But I do remember when I did start learning how to put lyrics together earlier, I used to go back home and I think it might have even been around just before all that time. I used to go and, what was it called now? It's like on Windows, you used to have that recorder, that old school recorder. And I just asked to use some rubbish computer mic, bro. And I just used to just record myself, but like I was scared to show people. But then I remember one track, somehow it got out and, and it was so rubbish, but... In the area that I'm from, it, it circulated and I see it seemed to do well. You know what I mean? So I was just, yeah. that's probably my early experience of getting the, getting the music out. And um, you know what I mean? Was this sort of like the early, like sending around MSN days? Like, is that how it's getting shared around? You yeah, think? yeah. Literally, yeah. it must have been around that that golden era. I remember MSN was was used a lot to to promote our tracks and stuff. Um, bro, that's took me back that. But yeah, MSN played a key part in, in Defo helping push Coco early stages and, and rotating music. That's sick to know. That's a sick yeah. to know that his early file sharing days were a big influential part of it. Like you said, they mentioned uh, your your area, Sheffield. Um, yeah. How much do you think it sort of influenced your sound? Like, were you sort of, because I suppose Sheffield is known for a couple of things as well, probably one of the biggest things, uh, baseline as well, and niche, that whole like, yeah. niche uh, nightclub scene like that. Was that really any of an influence on you at all at the time? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it had a big impact on me um, as such as me being an MC. I think I, I, think I, made, I might have made one baseline track, but... I think at the time where MCs in my city were doing baseline, I was just we we all started off on grind, but obviously, like you said, niche and baseline is something that's that was born and raised in Sheffield. So I always heard it, and I used to spit on the beats like if we were in a park or something. But in terms of like making a track, I never really went into the booth and vocal baseline tracks. It was always grind, but we'd spit on anything back then. To be fair, yeah. And do you think that's because it's sort of like a slightly different energy, like baseline in comparison to grind? I think so. I'm like thinking about it now. Like, I'm thinking, why didn't I really? Why didn't I really get on the baseline thing? But I think I just don't know if I liked the beats as much as I did grind beats. Because obviously there is 
there's, there's slight, slight similarities, but there's also quite a lot of differences as well. So I think I was just so glued to that grime sound. Nothing could really take me away from that as such. But I do respect what Baseline is and, you know, I respect that it's coming from my city and what it's, what it's done for some people. So big it up, man. Yeah, and then sort of what was it? Um, what was sort of your first, your first moment, mate? I mean, I personally know you from like um, my G and like Big and mm. Serious and stuff like that, and um, and a lot of your like earlier um, EPs that sort of came out around 2015. That's when we were when I first sort of like um, like found out about you and was like listening to your Tim and Barry sets and stuff like that as well on Just Jam, which was fantastic. Yeah. What was nice. sort of like the first moment where you thought, ah, oh, like, I've got something here. Like this is this is something that I could I could go with full time, or like this is something that I want to sort of carry on with in my career. Okay, so in terms of like a career probably hmm. you know what there, there would have been loads of times where I thought I can do this and my, and my parents would be like no this is not a career kind of thing like <laughs> what are you what are you on about kind of thing but I think I would say I'd say like um very early like I can't remember the exactly but I've got a friend called Rems and we used to be in like a duo Rems and Coco and you know we used to get a lot of love in in Sheffield considering Sheffield I don't know if it's like the fourth or fifth biggest city but we used to have it in the palm of my hand, um, so to speak, right, where all the girls, all the boys that age group loved us. Our tracks were getting rotation around to the point where supporting like JME, Tinty Strider at one of our local clubs called Plug. So I think from then, I just had tunnel vision, bro. And maybe slightly before that, but from from I'm getting booked and, you know, I'm going out, I'm going to town and people are knowing who you are, knowing your name, going to college school, whatever you are. I think around that time, I probably thought, you know what, I want to do this. But then, I guess seriously, I guess seriously that like when I moved to London, that's that's probably was the breaking point for me when I thought, you know what, this could be something. And when I met so that, Toddler. That was 2015, wasn't it? That's right, you do your you research. I like that. I yeah, like that. of course I do, boy. Of course <laughs> I do. It wasn't it as well, the first uh, the first night that you went out to XOY was when you met yeah. uh, Toddler T. Yeah, it was like the first or second night I'd gone down there. I was due to move into my house, I think like a day or two after. Um, and one of my friends had... had uh, one of our mutual friends had told me that Todd would have been playing at XOY and I said, you know what? I need to go and meet him. Like, I've never met this guy before and he's from the same city as me and I've, I've heard a lot about him. So, God, I was nervous because I'm thinking like, is this going to be like an initiation thing? Like, what do I have to do in order to get a studio of him? But it was, it was, it was blessed, bro. It was blessed. It was so welcoming. That's, that's the kind of person Todd is. And um, unbeknown to me, it'd been, you know, watching what I was doing whilst I was in Sheffield. Um, so it was good to know that, you know, he's, he's been keeping his eye on me and, and he likes what I'm doing. You get me? That's sick. And then wasn't it the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the first time you went to the studio as well, wasn't yeah. uh, Wasn't he doing bits with Danny Wade? Bro, that was, I, like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I've walked in there, I've, I've, Andy's been there, big old Andy, um, ex-Arctic Monkeys, and I've walked in there, it's Andy, Danny Wade and Todd Lattie, and walking into the studio with Todd Lattie, I'm thinking, yeah, that's mad. And then seeing Danny Weed, I'm just like, what? <laughs> so for you know people I mean? listening to why not know, so Danny Weed is a is a, an OG sort of. A, he was part of Roll Deep, wasn't he? Yeah, producer. Yeah, yeah so so uh, did a lot of uh, early grime instrumentals that, uh, yeah. that are very famous, like Creeper, Creeper and stuff beat, like yeah. that. Yeah, Creeper exactly. So um, so yeah, it's for you to be in if you're into grime and stuff like that, and then walk into the studio. What is this like the first week that you're down in London thinking, Bro, yes, like, right, it's good down here. First first night X O Y, yeah, with that, like, you could go into the studio anytime, even up until now, and you don't know it's going to be in Toddler's studio, which is it's the beauty of it. Do you know what I mean? And you wouldn't be like, oh, no, don't come. You know, so if it's like a very certain, like a, a certain kind of session where people don't want other people there, it's fine. But I could go in there and it could be being there with anybody. And it's just inspiring to me knowing, yo, you got, you're linking all these people and I'm able to see what's happening. You get what I mean? As the last 20 years have demonstrated, grime isn't just a London centric sound. 
However, the capital does bring a few unique opportunities to artists. I spoke to Coco about what he learned from moving down south. What do you think moving down to London like taught you about the uh, taught you about the music industry? Like, did it did it teach you anything at all? Or um, it definitely taught me that there's a there's a bigger world out there than Sheffield, um, and it also taught me about networking because yeah, you know we got the internet and stuff, and we can talk to people online, but it's it's different when you can meet people in person. Um, if I wanted to go to an extra, you know, it was just it was just a train train ride away, and I feel as though like. Being in London, I, I got a lot more work done. Um, I always, like I said, I always knew that I wanted to do music, but I just feel as though being in Sheffield, I was I was a bit limited. Do you get what I'm saying? I was limited in terms of what I could do being the artist I am. So I think with London, it, it taught me how to network. It definitely um, widened my my list of contacts, and also like I guess because I'm from I'm from up north, so I'm almost like a um, a little fish in a big pond in London, but. It gave me that drive even more. Like if I'm going to radio and there's ten London MCs, I'm the only up north one. It made me want to shine even more. Do you know what I'm saying? So, did you ever um, did you ever sort of like feel any any um, like friction from like where you were saying you're like obviously you're from Sheffield and then going down yeah. to London and performing and stuff like that? Was there any sort of did you experience like any friction or like? Not at all, uh, bro. If anything, it was the actual opposite, bro. Everyone that I've come across in London showed me bare love and. You know, I don't know whether that could be just because of me, my personality, or because you know, I might have been introduced by a toddler, whatever it be. But I think, I think with with us being northerners, as you know, people see us as being quite friendly people and stuff anyway. But like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just a cool person and I'm all about good vibes and good energy. So if I'm meant to be in a room with someone and something's meant to happen, then let's get it done. Yeah, mate, absolutely. And um, I also read as well, doing a little bit of research, that you were, correct me if I'm wrong, a massive fan of uh, festivals, like playing out live at festivals. Oh, I love it, bro. I love it. Miss it. What is, uh, what is it that makes a festival special in comparison to like playing in, the, in a club or like oh. playing on a radio set or something like that? Where do we start? The smell, the atmosphere. The smell. Yeah, the like, smell. You know, like, it sounds very, very weird, but like, you know, like you go to a festival, you can, there's like certain things that only a festival has, like, you know, I don't know, like, if, if it's, for example, I went to Glastonbury, like, yeah. down to the mud, like, smelling the mud, just hear, hearing the music out outside, you know, seeing yeah. everyone running around in Wellingtons, it's, it's, it's unmatched with, like, you can, you can sit and listen to a song in your headphones, you can get a nice vibe, but it will never match the vibe of, you know, it being right in front of your face and live, live in the flesh. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're one of these people that will get fully involved, and you're not, you're not just, uh, you're not straight off the, uh, straight off the uh, like uh, bus into the backstage area on stage and then bopping off. Do you? No, no. Well, I mean, when I, when I first arrive, I might be, but then after, I do want to go out into the crowd and I want to experience it like them because you know I'm a fan of music as well, as well as being an artist. I'm a fan. So like the other day, like when I wasn't hidden, I was I was backstage behind the decks. Um, and then I thought, you know what, I want to go out to the crowd because, you know, you lot have stood there, watched me perform, gave me a lot of energy. I want to come and vibes with you a lot. I'm not, I'm not flipping. I don't want to seem too out of touch with people, especially with it being in person. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 definitely. Have you ever, where's like sort of the, uh, where's the weirdest place that you've, um, you've been recognised? The weirdest place I've been recognised? Uh, that's a good question. Um, let me think. It's, hard, it's a hard one because you see me, I'm, I'm quite modest, bro. So like I could go somewhere and someone, someone might be like, oh, you Coco. And I'm just shocked in terms of like, like how, the, how would you know me? Yeah, but I'm just, I can't really put a finger on where the maddest place will be. But when I think of, when I think of it, I'll let you know. But there's been some, there has been some random places for sure. 
Yeah, that's all right, mate. Um, what's sort of like the worst, as we were saying, like you, you love playing at festivals and you love the atmosphere and the vibe and everything. What's the, uh, yeah. what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you while you've been playing live at a festival? Probably just forgot my lyrics, bro. Just did. Yeah, <laughs> it's where I burnt the candle at both ends, like especially when we early stages when we because Thunder don't even drink anymore. I don't think, but we used to go hard, bro. You know, when when you when you perform, you get a ride off backstage. So sometimes I used to think I could, you know, drink and you know what I'm saying, and then go on stage, and then sometimes like, my head's just gone. That's probably the worst thing that can happen to anyone performing. But yeah. obviously, like with, as being an MC, you, you find ways to try and, and cover it up. You know, there's ways to mask it, and you just don't want to make people know. But in my head, I'm thinking I ruined everything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like everyone knows I've messed up, but they might not even clock. You know what I'm saying? No, but, they're probably drunk as well, mate. In the crowd, they're yeah, not going to yeah. know. If you're just pulling for the reload, they go, yeah, 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 absolutely, in absolutely. Fact, you know what? What did I do now? I was in um, I was in Malta um, performing for the uh, Animat Presents, and I think I was on stage. I think I was a bit hungover. I was on stage, and I've I've said something like, "Yes, Mali, what's going on?" But these times in Malta, <laughs> and I'm like, "What am I doing, bro? Oh, them days are over, bro." <laughs> <laughs> no drinking bro. before, no just drinking before sets. Now is it? Yeah. Is it? Strictly, yeah, it's an after set now. business. It's you know an after set business. Trust. What sort of like this? Uh, this is uh, well, it's it's not necessarily specific to you, but what sort of like you're mm-hmm. as you were saying there, listening to early grime, like in the likes of Danny Weed, uh, Roll Deep, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Listening to early albums from Skepta and Jamie and uh, Dizzy and everyone. What's your like mm-hmm. go to grime set that like is a classic, classic one that you all were listening to, like a tape pack or a recorded one? Go to grime set. Okay. Um... There's so many, bro. Uh, I didn't really have um, tape packs, I'll be honest. I don't know if, I've, if I was too young or I just missed that, but Grime said, what did I used to listen to now? There was one, yeah, where Skepto, I think it was in is in Bristol. It's, this is more like a live station, though, and he's got like an army outfit on. I think that was quite um, a renowned set that he did, and it was sick. I think he was just running through all the rhythms, and he was murking, bro. He was murking, but in terms of, like, sets on radio, uh I think there's too many to mention, bro. There's too many to mention. Yeah. It really is. But there's definitely, definitely um, some Logan Sama ones and, and maybe a couple of Westwood ones. I just used to try. If it, if it was anything to do with Boy Better Now, I used to want to lock in bad, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's a there's a classic like uh, Logan Sama like Kiss 100 album where he's going uh, back to back against Getz, which I think I yeah, listen yeah, to yeah, like yeah, religiously yeah. as well. I remember that one, that one where, where he's trying to leave to go down into the car and uh, yeah, Getz yeah, is yeah. like he's yeah, doing so a back to back, which is a yeah, yeah he's not it. He keeps going back and forth. It's a it's Good a success. So your earlier uh, early in January this year, you uh, you released your uh, your EP, didn't you? A different side to me. Oh, yeah, a different side which to me. Yeah. You, which you produced yourself. And, yeah. um, and wrote on yourself what was sort of like the uh, what was the inspiration after that because that would have been sort of like a year and a, well not a year just under a year of obviously in lockdown in coronavirus yeah. everything sort of being put on hold like what sort of made you bring out that EP so, early January this it, year yeah so with, with a different side of me um, it, it wasn't a conscious like decision to make an EP it was it was pretty much just a collection of tracks that I made over time I mean I think let's have a look Big Light Before and Along With Thoughts are the only two that I'd made in lockdown, um, can't quit. And many times I'd, I'd recorded when I was actually living in London. So I've, I've, I've listened to these tracks and they've all got similarities in terms of, well, most of them, you know, I've got vocals, like more melodic vocals on the Hulk. Um, and along with thoughts, it was just like a self-reflection, more of a deeper track. And I just, I just, I used to have people telling me like when they heard these like tracks, maybe in particular, like, you know, you need to get these out there, Coco. Like, even though you're like a, known as a grime MC, you can do this other stuff quite well. And and you know people like the sound of it. I think you should, we think you should get about there. And just let people see that side of you. So hence why I called it what I did. Um, 
And I think it's good as an artist, even though if, if you're renowned for doing something, it's good to step outside the box and, you know, give your supporters different flavour because unless you release it and test the waters, you won't know. And it got a good response, so I'm happy I did it, to be fair. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Like, it's good to obviously, like you said, show your diversity and um, and show your skill set. And I'm glad that there wasn't any sort of like pushback to it. And like people were, even though it wasn't like the hard, like crime sound, people were yeah. receiving it well. And there was like a good, a good bit of feedback to it. And then sort yeah. of to bring it up to a, up to date, which you literally shared this week, um, your upcoming uh, upcoming single with a uh, Hans Glader. Hey, big music one. in the sun. How did that one come around? So that again, literally, uh, like I said, it's good. It's good, like when you can meet people in person, live in the flesh. But again, this this was all over uh, internet. So I think Hans did it. I don't know if you heard Level City. So if you heard stuff that I done with Conductor um, prior, and he just said he was, he's he's a fan, you know, he's, he's heard my stuff, and he sent me something. But like a lot of people try and send me beats and stuff, and sometimes I listen to them and I just be like, but this just sounds like the other one or like, and I get why they're doing that because they want to try and get as close to you know the songs that I'd usually make. But like, I do like it when sometimes I get sent something that I've, I've not necessarily done before. So I heard this beat, and it's what I'm talking because no one's heard this, but I'm talking like everyone's heard it. But um, I heard the beat, and I was just like, yeah. Going back to the early influences, um, like from my mum playing Garage, you know, it's got like a old school Garage flavour, but it's got like a summer flavour as well, like listening to your Charlotte Amers and stuff from back in the day. So I said, you know what? This is me. I'm, it's, it's, it's a grown, it's a bit more of a grown vibe, so... That's why that's why I chose to approach it like I did, and um, obviously you lot will hear this. You'll, I don't know when this is coming out, but it's out on the ninth of August, so you lot will get to hear it, man. Fantastic, mate. And like like you said, there, sort of garage. Like it's probably had a bit of not a resurgence, but definitely in the last I'd say two years with a couple of like mm-hmm. labels like One Forty and a couple of like you said Kiwi Records, like conductors yeah. bits and pieces. There uh, yeah. is definitely. I'd say it's in a good place. What do you what do you sort of uh, think of the the garage like scene at the moment? Because there was, I mean, I might be sh- shot for saying this, but there was sort of yeah. a. Yeah. I thought like there was a time, maybe sort of like two thousand and eight ish to maybe like two thousand thirteen fourteen, where like every garage yeah. nation would just be the same, and you'd have like the same DJs in there. There'd be no yeah. sort of newish garage tracks. Like you have sort of darker stuff like LB and like yeah. a couple of like yeah like earlier sort of darker bits that would be new stuff was coming out. But yeah. um, for a while there, I feel sort of like mainstream garage was was just the same sort of tracks being played over and over and over again for like six, seven years. But with yeah. like Kiwi Records, with 140, with a couple of the other ones, Steppers Clubs, and a couple of other yeah. people that I've seen, uh, I feel like it's in a it's in a good place now. Would you would you echo that or would you uh, would you say no, something No, hundred percent, bro. 100%. Like obviously, I'm I'm coming from grime. You know what I'm saying? So I, I can't sit here and act like I've been a key figurehead in in garage music throughout the whole, throughout the years. But like I said, I I know what garage is and I know what good garage is. So um. I think it's just a case of, like you said, if it, if it weren't for people like Conductor and all these other people that have had a hand in sort of, you know, sh- like shedding a bit more light on it again, um, I don't think some things would be possible. And big up all the originators, you know, as well, not to take anything away from them, but, you know, sometimes things do get a bit stagnant and they have a moment. It happens with, with, with quite a lot of urban genres, you know. But, yeah, I'd say Garage right now, I hear Garage everywhere, man, and I don't think Garage can ever die because it's such a vibe um, it's a timeless vibe, do you know what I'm saying? But I think that the, the garage now is just it's just a bit different, you know. It's just a bit different, but it's it's definitely here to stay, and it's it's good. It sounds good, I think, man. Absolutely, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you uh, think the same as well, mate. What's um what's one what's one thing that you wish you could uh, have told yourself all the way back when you were like say year nine when you were first like writing your bars and 
going back to the studio and stuff like that what's one piece of advice that you wish you could have told yourself i probably just said don't, don't be afraid to try new things you know because in the early stages i, I probably will i know for a fact i weren't as confident as what i am now but i think it's it's always important to take take a chance because if you don't take a chance then you'll never know and it might be the best thing you've ever done it might it might not be the best thing you've ever done but again that's what a chance is do you get what i'm saying so i'd say be less hesitant on making certain decisions about things but i'm glad that I've, I've found I found myself now, and you know, I just I just love to make music, man. I've always loved to make music. So as long as I feel like the vibes there and people enjoy it, then that's that's my job done. You get what I mean, bro? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And um, and what do you what do you sort of like class as a win nowadays, mate? If you were mm. if you were to sort of like look at the grand scheme of things, well, like what is it mm. that you sort of class as a win? Like looking like looking back at the stuff that I have done and what I would class as wins, like you know, flying to Jamaica, making a song with one of the biggest. Um, one of the biggest contemporary artists in Jamaica, Protégé, you know. Just knowing that I've done all that stuff, anything that's keeping me afloat and keeping people remembering Coco in their heads is a win to me, you know. If someone sends me a DM saying, yo, I like your new track or something, that's a win to me, bro. You get what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people who, and, and again, like I'm not talking like I'm old, I've been in the game for 20 years or whatever, but I've, I've been doing this, doing this thing for a long time, what a lot of people might not know, so... Just being able to still make music and make people happy and have people supporting me and, and wanting to, you know, listen to Coco as an artist, that's a win for me, bro. As long as I'm still here, it's a win. Making my family proud, my friends, etc. So, yeah, that's that's what I consider as a win stuff. It's a good positive outlook to have, mate. And like you said, yeah, there will all be, there'll always be new fans that are just getting into yeah. a certain music, finding history and going, oh, I find this new. Like I said, they might stumble across a set from like mm-hmm. five, six years ago and then be like, oh shit, I wonder what he's making now. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. being able to consistently put put stuff out gosh i would say even when i was at hidden some guy come up to me and he was like oh coco um it's like i i, I love your music like it's like i can't lie i don't really like mcs over music but i heard you on levels to this and i liked it he's like what other garbage songs have you made because i've made um steezing he's like you made steezing i'm like yeah yeah and it's just, just that energy and that like you know what i mean it gives me life just thinking because you know like i said I, I, I can be modest sometimes so i'm just thinking oh these lot might not listen to me or might not like me I'm just another mc to them so hearing things like that it, it you know, it gives me a booster. You get me, bro? Listen, mate, I've told you once, I've told you twice, you know, on the list. All right, all right.